Hello and welcome to EM Talk. I'm your host, Judd Smith. EM Talk is a podcast sponsored by Axon Education's Texas EMS School. The Texas EMS School is dedicated to providing the most efficient way possible to learn all aspects of EMS. We're also dedicated to actively improving and adapting our EMS education methods in order to meet an ever-changing healthcare world. If you ever have any interest in gaining your certification as an EMT or an advanced EMT, please feel free to visit our website, axoneducation.com. EMS has a large number of calls related to addiction or dependency of either a legal or illegal substance. EMTs and paramedics see these types of circumstances so often that it is common to become jaded or dull to the patient who is experiencing the issue. If you're in this field and you look at a patient with anything but compassion, you need to reevaluate your ability to appropriately care for these patients. These are real people with real problems, and the moment we stop treating it that way is when our patients suffer. I'm a paramedic and I totally understand the feeling, but most of us only see these situations from the perspective of a healthcare provider. We're coming from the outside looking in. We assume these patients have done this to themselves, so they're getting what they deserve, and our compassion or empathy is just absent. Joining us today, we have a recovering addict with two years of sobriety. We're going to talk with her and gain some understanding of what it is like from the other side, from the side that we don't experience. I feel like if we can learn to sympathize and empathize with these patients, I believe we can truly begin to help them in their time of need. So, uh, would you uh, feel comfortable introducing yourself? Um, hi, I'm Mandy. I am 26 year old. 26 years old. Um, I'm actually coming up on two years of sobriety next month. Um, I'm from right here in Abilene, Texas, and that's that's me. Awesome, awesome. So, Mandy, thank you for being willing to join us today and share your story and your perspective. Like I said, I think this will be really good for the EMS community as a whole and maybe for anybody out there to just kind of get an understanding of of what this is truly like. And so I'm going to do this and ask you questions about your story from a uh, stance of non-judgment, but just wanting to be educated. It's It's not about saying, you know, why did you do that? It's more about understanding what led to it. Right. So uh, let's start with your background. What is your story? Um, well, I got started, oh gosh, probably my senior year of high school. Um, it started as just a uh, simple pain relief. I would um, get a headache and I had access to hydrocodone. So I would, instead of taking Tylenol, go and find a hydro and take it instead. And sleep the pain off, wake up with another bad migraine and take another hydro and just keep going from there. And then it just kind of spiraled on. So it started as like a, a dependency more than anything. Just yes. you're, you have, I'm guessing you have an issue with migraines, um, which I totally understand that they suck. And some people's are way severe, minor, yes. minor mild compared to most people's. And so where did the access to, to hydrocodone come from? Like, why, why did you have access to that? Um, I actually injured myself while at work. And so I had a prescription 
and would go to the doctor and get it refilled as I needed. And then it just became a, oh, I don't need it for the injury anymore. I need it to exist. I need it to live. So for those that aren't aware of of how that works, the, right now to get a prescription for hydrocodone, it's like a three-script process. I mean, it's all written on paper. You have to physically go pick it up and take it to the pharmacy. But if I recall, in whenever you were in high school, which was shortly after I was, um, it, it wasn't that hard to get a prescription for that refilled. Oh, yeah. It was a lot simpler. It was, you know, oh, you, you know, you're injured. We're going to start you on the hydrocodone, and we're going to go from there. And, you know, they start you with 10, 12 days, and that's all it takes. So this this may be a hard thing to describe. What what joy did you get from hydrocodone? And maybe joy is the wrong word. I, I don't really know the word I'm looking for there. But what did it make you feel like? Why why was it appealing? Um, at first, like I said, it was just, you know, the ability to survive, to get day-to-day. Um, once I started spiraling, you know, I started touching on other pills and it became the thrill of the high um you know i i didn't feel any pain i was on the top of the world i i didn't feel anything i felt like i could conquer whatever whatever came my way so i mean i guess it kind of gave you like a really large uh sense of confidence oh yeah um obviously um, it looks different from the other side of that. You're feeling confidence and everybody else is seeing something totally different, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So did other people notice, like, the the issue or...? Um, I think I did pretty well with um, keeping it to myself. And eventually, you know, I had friends who I would go to and we would hang out. And it ended up we would start snorting Oxy and... Um, it became, oh, hey, I'm going to go hang out with them for a couple of days. We're going to, you know, watch movies and chill and we'll go to the state park and, you know, go on hikes and whatnot. So I think for the most part, I was able to uh, hide it pretty well. So, I mean, this was so the way that you're hiding it, though, is you go and you hang out with other people that are also doing the same thing. Right. And so you you talk, you mentioned Oxy. So when did the transition from, so like you're in high school when you start the hydrocodone. When do you trans, transition to, to something stronger? When do you transition to oxycodone? Um, it was pretty much the same time frame, right around this time of graduation in uh, 2011. I, uh, I met these friends in... January or February and would go hang out and at first it was just oh we're gonna hang out and watch movies and then you know oh hey you have access to Oxy so hey have you ever done this no but I'm interested so you know they set up a line for me and I snorted that line of Oxy and that was the end that was you know the downfall 
So that was like what you, that was the point that you associate with the actual addiction starting. Yes. Is when you started snorting Oxy. So when you were taking Hydro, were you, were you just popping pills? Were you snorting? Were you, oh, what no. was the form there? When I first started, it was just popping the Hydros. Like, it became like Tic Tacs. Okay. Just, uh, you know, here's the pill bottle, you know, you pop one, a couple hours later, you start feeling that, uh. You start feeling the pain again, and you're like, oh, I don't want to feel that pain. So before it starts again, we're going to go and we're going to pop another one. So do you feel like the pain was, at that point, was it real or was it in your mind? That's always hard to um, to figure out whether it was real or if it was in, you know, all in my head. Um, a lot of the times I probably convinced myself that it really was real but then you know you start coming down and you start feeling the headache and the body aches and the chills and you know you know you're coming down but you don't want to feel that pain so you go get your next high right and, and a lot of a lot of addicts will refer to that as getting well um, because it feels like you're sick and really what it is is it's like physically it's the withdrawal right. from it. and so now we're you're graduated from high school, yes. uh, you've transitioned to Oxy, and you have a group of friends that you're hanging out with that are also doing the same thing. Right. Um, so before before we leave high school, was high school difficult to get through with the, your addiction? Um, it I, school's always been hard for me. Um, I did really well in school until about fourth grade when I suffered back to back illnesses. Um, and then after that, it just got, you know, it got harder and then I became lazy about it. So up until the day I graduated, you know, it was. So it really didn't make it any harder or anything. It was just, that was how school was for you anyways. Right. In general. It, it seemed like the pills almost made it easier. Well, because you I didn't was have still, to worry about it right. anymore. I get that. But I was still, you know. It was still difficult, you know. It's it's high school. Everybody yeah. has, well, you know, I mean, that one thing. So, okay, so we're out of high school, um, and, uh, I mean, you've got this group of friends. How many, I mean, how many people are we talking here? Like a handful or, like, dozen or? Um, when it first started out, it was just a married couple and I. Okay. Um, and we would hang out. And then I introduced one of my friends to them. Okay. And it became the four of us. And we would hang out pretty frequently. And if we weren't hanging out, my friend and I would, um, you know, we'd be on our well days. And then we'd be like, you know, we're bored, so let's go see so-and-so and we'll go hang out and do our thing. Mm -hmm. And we'd be gone for two or three days at a time. So like no, I mean you just leave. And yeah. where are you living at? Are you living with your friend? Or are you with your family? What's the um, situation? At the time, actually, I was living in the garage at my mom's house in the backyard. It was a detached garage. It had no heating, no AC. It was just the Place shell of a you know. <laughs> it was an open, you know, tin garage. And uh, we put some couches in there and a twin-size mattress, and, you know, we made it our home. And is, are, is your family aware of, of your addiction at this point? No. 
So, wow. So um, you've made it through high school and out, and still family members, if they are aware, aren't pointing it out to you, at least. Right. So, wow. Um, so uh, so you said that you'd have your well days. Uh, what does that mean? So well days, does that mean, like, days that you were using and then days that you weren't using, or what is... To me, the well days were the two or three days we could go without. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So, you know, we, you know, actually try our best to be, you know, citizens of the community and do our part. Okay. But then it got too hard and we'd, we'd go back. So generally, I mean, every week you had the full intention of not using again. Right. And then by day three of not doing it, it was just... Is it like an impulse, or is it is it just like, I'm hurting, I need to do it, or what does that feel like? Um, It's kind of both. Okay. It was, you know, the dependency, but also the impulse of, you know, you're trying to get better, and you know that you're, you know, this week you're going to get better, and this week you're going to get better. And then, you know, day three or four, you're like, I can't do this, I need to go back. And, you know, you've got the good angel and the bad angel right, right. sitting on your shoulders, you know, and the good angel is telling you, no, we're going to go and we're going to be productive members of the society, be, you know, our normal citizens. And then you've got, you know, the bad angel and the bad angel tends to outweigh the good. Right. Absolutely. So. Well, and, and to be fair, uh, you know, we, we as a society kind of have this, this tendency to look at, other uh, problems and, and say, oh, well, that's worse than my problem. And all of us have that 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 angel and that demon. I, I'm quoting for those of you that can't see what I'm doing, <laughs> using my little quote fingers. Um, and we're all, you know, we're all struggling with something. But uh, yours is just a, a, a more unique and probably more intense feeling. Right. Um, so every week you have this intention that you're going to you're going to stop. And when you go back to using, when when you inevitably f- would, you know, fail at that intention or, or, or move past that intention, do you think, okay, I'm going to do it once and then stop again? I'm just going to make myself feel better and then we're done. Is that like what happens every time? That's exactly how it was. Okay. It was, you know, we're going to go get that high and we're going to be fine and that's going to be able to get us through to be able to keep going. Right, to keep fighting it. Right. right. But you know, you you need that next high, and then you end up back in your back in your bad days, where you know you go, maybe maybe you do go one day, mm-hmm. you know, one full twenty four hours without, and you know you're like, okay, I got this. We're we're actually gonna do it this time, and then it's flat out, no, we're gonna go get that high and we're going to keep going so it goes from like zero to a hundred really fast yes it's like i'm not doing this again and then 10 10 minutes later it's like okay i've got to do it again yes and and i think i think a lot of people can identify with that feeling um of just like every intention of doing the right thing and then still doing the wrong thing right um and so it's i'm glad you said it like that because i think a lot of people in my position in the in the ems world think of addiction and think well they just want to do that 
That's right. what they wanted to do from day one. They want to be addicted. They want to keep doing it. Right. And really, the reality is, is probably most addicts are exactly like that. It's like every day they're like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. Right. And then next thing they know, it's just, it's hard. It's, it's on the field probably almost feels impossible at the moment that there's just no way you can get by without doing it. It, it, it does feel impossible. You know, you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this line, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, I'm going to do better, but you can't see past the next five to 10 minutes. You right. can't see an immediate future past your ne- your current high. There is no future past that. It's just that, and then we'll figure out the rest later. Exactly. That makes sense. And that's probably feels terrible. I imagine that feels like you're like in a prison inside of your own body almost. It's it's uh it's debilitating. It's you know, it's paralyzing. You know, you feel trapped. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily like a prison, but, you know, you feel like uh, like you're in sleep paralysis. You know, you know, right, you're, yeah. you know you're going and moving forward, but at the same time, you're you're physically stuck. Your mind is going forward, but your body just isn't cooperating. Exactly. It won't do it. Exactly. <laughs> I that, And that's that's scary to me. Like even the I, I read a lot about sleep paralysis and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a really unique uh, event. And it's scary. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, you. a lot of people get sleep paralysis and they're having a night terror when it happens. Yeah. And so this terrifying thing is going on and they can't respond to it. And, uh, I mean, that to me sounds like addiction. I mean, the way that feels is just yes. this terrifying thing is going on to you and around you. And you just feel like you can't do anything about it. So, right. okay. So, uh, so now the addiction started high school and... This is how many years does this go on for? Um, this goes on for let's see, five years. Wow. On and off for five years, um, and it got to the point where it became more. Um, at one point, I was actually, I got into ecstasy. Um, A strange combination of <laughs> drugs. <laughs> it was, and it was, you know, it wasn't actually. It wasn't always a combination. Sometimes it would be, you know, yeah, we're going to do the hydro or we're going to do the oxy and we're going to do the hydro and the oxy combined. Or we're going to go out and we're going to, you know, go do ecstasy and be high for three or four days. Wow. So. <laughs> I can't imagine that. And, you know, it's different for everybody. Right. You right. know, but it was, it was, you know. It's always a strange combination. And, you know, how your body processes it is different. And so, I mean, I guess this this world that you've placed yourself in, um, most people, I guess, when they view any kind of drug-related world, it's just like uh, they think of Breaking Bad. It's like just, oh, it's all darkness and craziness all the time. And I imagine it's probably more chill than that. But it probably you probably had to put yourself in some weird circumstances to get drugs or whatever you needed. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Like, how do you, at this point, how are you getting the drugs? Um, well, the, the ecstasy, we had, you know, mutual friends with other friends and we would go, um, and visit them out of town and, you know, we'd smoke weed and do 
the XTC and we'd go to raves and then go home at six o'clock in the morning and sleep all day. And then, you know, we'd come back to, we'd come back home and do the hydro and the oxy or, you know, whatever we wanted to do. And then a couple of weeks later, we would go back. And then that time we would go to some stranger's house and go, you know, to a house party and be doing drugs with people that we didn't even know, but they didn't care, you know, they wanted right. they wanted the thrill of having company. Right, they just didn't want to be alone. Exactly, and then it got, um, at one point I actually had a boyfriend who um, was dealing, and you know, that became a reality. You know, not I wouldn't get into the dealing part of it, but you know, I was there, so it was easy access. Right. And then we would break up, and I would go to his house, and I would exchange sex for drugs. So it was all, it depended on the circle, who I was with, what I wanted, you know. So, so I mean, you mentioned how you're paying for this. Uh, do you have a job? Are you able to hold a job at this point? At this point, no. I, uh, I did work. For a while, I worked for uh, two or three months, but it was wacky hours, you know, it wasn't consistent. Um, so it was easy for me in my days off to go and get high. Right. And then I'd go to work and I'd be, you know, productive member of society and be okay. And then at the end of the night, I'd know, you know, okay, I got to go to work tomorrow, so I can't do anything. But I get off at five o'clock tomorrow, and after that, I'm free for three days. Right. So, but after that, it was, it became impossible. To, to work. I mean, there's just no way to, to manage that, the addiction and working at the same time. Exactly. Which to me, I mean, I know you even thinking back on it, you're like, how did I think that was going to work? Like, how, exactly. <laughs> I don't under, it, it just, it's like, there's no way that uh, that in a normal circumstance your mind would tell you, okay, this is how life will work. Um, but I, it just goes to show you that like when you're doing that, there is no good common sense is just like wacky. Exactly. Like your your ability to think through that that situation and life in general. Like you said, there's nothing past that ten minutes of whatever. Exactly. It's just the future doesn't matter. It's just getting done what I want to do right now. Exactly. And so, so this goes on, you said, for five years. Right. And you've uh, progressed to different drugs. Uh, anything, I mean, outside of that, or, or heroin, meth, anything like that come into the picture? Never. Well, that's it was good. Always, it was always pills. So, and then weed. But yeah. Okay, so when do you decide, uh, I can't do this anymore? I have to stop. Well, it didn't become a decision, Okay. It, um, I ended up, you know, living in a couple different places, a couple different states. Um, and I actually was living in Louisiana at the time that I did quit. Um, and my current boyfriend was going to, um, he was beginning his career as a truck driver. And we gave up our apartment and I went on the road with him. And so I'm gone for three weeks without any connection to anything. 
So it's almost like a forced, like... It was a forced... There's no way to get it. Exactly. Kind of and then I was home for... We were home together for um, three or four days. And it was, you know, it's right there in front of me. And, you know, the temptation is there. And I went off and I got my high. And then a couple of days later, um, we were leaving for three months. And so Thanksgiving Day 2016 was the last day I was high. Um, and after that, we left and we went on the truck and we were gone for 91 days. Oh, wow. Um, I bet I, that was a long 91 days. It was you a haven't, very like, long. to the day you know how long you were um, gone. You know, we left right after Christmas and we were gone until the end of March. Wow. Um so it was, you know, we spent New Year's, Valentine's, St. Patrick's Day in the truck, you know, in this little 10 by 10 square foot, you know, this is where you live, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, you know, there's no connection, you know, all of your connections are hundreds, thousands of miles away. Right. And, you know, at that point you're coming down and I slept for four or five days. Wow. That was, that was my life. I slept, I would get up to eat and I would go right back to sleep. Wow. So, um, and that went on like the whole trip or like just for the first few, that was just for the first few days. Okay. But after that it became, you know, I became hostile. Um, you know, I needed to find my next high, but I knew that I didn't have any connections. Yeah, there's no and, way you know, to get it. Some stranger in the truck parking lot isn't gonna give, you know, this random little girl, you know, drugs for nothing. It's, no. You know, and that becomes even scarier because you know you don't know if you're gonna get killed or kidnapped or right end up with you know, some strange disease. Right. So that kind of helped me get through was, you know, the fear. Um, you found something that was, uh, that was worth more than, than getting high or at least scarier than, than the idea of not getting, getting the high. Exactly. So, um, those 91 days, it was, you know, it's not only hard being, you know, you're confined to this much room, Right. For the majority of your day, it's the, you know, you're confined by not knowing people, by not right. having the connections. So, that, I mean, that, that 91 days in a truck, I mean, saved your life. Yes. It led to, to being clean. Um, and that's unique because most of the time it takes, I mean, rehabs and things like that to be able to do it. But... Yours was like a necessity thing. It was right. like, I mean, I, I don't have an option here. I can either get clean or possibly get killed in a truck parking lot, which sounds really like morbid, but I mean, that's the reality you were facing. Exactly. Um, and you made a decision. Uh, and so since then, never, never used again. I mean, that's... Have not used again. Which is awesome. So you said two years next month. Yes. What's the day? What's the, the two-year day? The 25th of November. 25th of November. That's almost like on Thanksgiving exactly. this year. That's cool. So 
And you said the the day you stopped was Thanksgiving. Yes. Of, of that that year. And what year was that? Would be two thousand sixteen. Yes. Okay. Wow. So, um, as you're aware, I mean, the opioid addiction is is huge right now. It's exactly. huge, and not not everybody has the same story as you. Everybody's story is like totally different right. than everyone else's. But uh, I think the the biggest thing that I picked up on here is is being able to relate to the idea that um, that you want to do good, but it was almost it felt like it was impossible. You just kept falling back into it. And I think everybody has had that feeling about something. Yes. Um, and I think that gives people a starting point. Like if you understand that it's just it's just like any other problem out there for the most part. It's just it causes also there's chemical uh, dependency there and there's there's things that happen in your mind that force you to to want to do it. There's pain related to it. Um, you know those are the the unique factors right. in all of this. Um, so really, I mean, I I appreciate it. Uh, it. It's helped me to understand it as well. It's a brave thing to do, um, to be willing to talk talk about it. And I, I would encourage you to, I mean, the story's impactful. I would encourage you to, to talk to people about it when you, right. when you can and when you feel comfortable. Um, obviously, uh, some people will hear about it this way. I don't know how many people are listening to my podcast now. Probably, probably not more than a couple handfuls. But right. uh, if as it spreads, maybe this will reach somebody that needs to hear something about this, and that it is possible to break free and and change your life. And now you're you're married. Yes. So what else is going on in life now? Now what's what's sober life like? So it's actually great. I mean it. I did tell Alex a few days ago, last week, that, you know, nearing this two-year mark, I've never wanted drugs more. Yeah. Um, it probably is fresh in your mind right now because it's cl- getting close to that date. Exactly. So. Um, you know, it is hard coming to terms with your sobriety. Right. Um, I did have my very best friend knew about my addiction, um, and she knew about the start of my sobriety. But it took me until last Thanksgiving to come out. Like to tell everyone. To tell so everyone. now your family is aware of it. And so everything. now everyone, all of my close friends, my family are aware that, you know, this is something that I've been struggling with um, and how we've, how we've come to this point. Right. Um, because for nearly a full year, I did it in silence. Right. Um, and that was, you know, that was the hard part. Well, and you've known Alex for the time, almost the time period that you've been clean, right? Right. We've known each other almost three years. Um, coming up next spring will be three years. Um, and we talked, you know, we went on our first couple of dates and then I ended up moving back to Louisiana. Um, I kind of ghosted. <laughs> I hear <laughs> that term a lot. That, I, I, that's not a term I'm familiar with in the relationship world. Because I've been in a relationship since high school. And so I learned that term the other day. And I was like, man, that is so such a mean thing to do to people. It is. <laughs> and, you know, I feel horrible about it every day. Well, but, but it worked out. In hindsight, I was just seeking that next high. So he was a part of your life initially when that was still going on. Yes. And then um, just a few months later, after I went back to Louisiana is when I went on the truck with my boyfriend. And he and I would text back and forth, you know, 
at random intervals and we'd talk for a couple of hours and um I knew when he was buying his house um he was probably one of the first people or I was probably one of the first people you know that he told about it and we talked about it pretty consistently and then I came back to Abilene last spring um and ended up staying and have been here ever since and last fall we started our actual relationship like your your, your uh, Facebook official relationship yes yeah I don't um, know if that's still a thing that people say but <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> our Facebook it. official <laughs> relationship and then um, it just became clear to me that you know he was he was my saving grace he was you know everything that I needed and the fact that he's here for me and stands by my side in this and is willing you know to face this with me right you know and hold my hand and tell me you know you're still beautiful you're still strong and you know well and that that's I mean that's what it takes I would imagine is people understanding it and caring about you no matter what exactly and especially like you said you're you you mentioned that you have more of an urge right now as you're getting close to that date than you have in a long time and that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize is that when you're an addict you are always an addict yes you are always still addicted to that drug or whatever it was that you're addicted to and so it's like a constant struggle. And, it is. you know, I'm sure some days are easy and some days are, are not so easy. Right. Um, but I would imagine all the people you were friends with are probably no longer a part of your life. The people that you did the drugs with. Right. Which is hard because you probably still care about them. Oh, yeah. And, and want the best for them. And maybe they're clean now, too. Who knows? Um, you probably know. but uh, <laughs> um, And so now your family's aware of it and your family can help you continue to make to fight this. Exactly. And uh, your husband can continue to help you fight this. And um, for those of you out there that have uh, family members or friends that struggle with it, uh, be there for them. You yeah. know, it takes a lot, especially for those of us who have struggled in silence, um, to know that at least one person is on our side. Right. And um, you, you have to have that. If not, it's just, I mean, it's a world of negativity and your your place to turn to is that drug. So what's going right. to happen next? It's just going to go right back to that. Right. So, um, so be positive for those that are struggling. Understand that they're not any different than you are. They just, they need help. And, uh, and it just takes some strength and some understanding and some compassion so uh, thanks for being willing to talk to us today. Of course. I'm, I'm super excited. I think this is uh, something people need to hear about. Yes. Um, so glad to have you today. And um, hopefully we can have you back on uh, next year at the three-year mark. And yes. we can talk about what three years is like. And uh, you can update us on how things are going. And and maybe maybe this will have reached somebody by then. And I can tell you that somebody emailed me and said, hey, that really helped me. So That would be amazing. And, and I, I know there are people, you know, even people in the EMS community that struggle with drug addiction and, and alcohol and, and whatever else. And uh, they may need to be the ones that hear this so that they can right. be set free from that as well. So thanks again for joining us on EM Talk. We hope that today's episode has been able to give you some kind of motivation, some kind of education, some better understanding of whatever it is that you needed to hear today. We hope that you'll continue to join us here. Please subscribe 
and like and give us uh, some great reviews. Feel free to reach out to us on the internet at our website, axoneducation.com. Again, axoneducation.com. Feel free to email us at info at axoneducation.com or give us a call at 866-466-0911. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our podcast, on our program, on anything EMS. Remember, knowledge is vital in EMS. It's life or death. We'll see you next time.